Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day is by Emerson. He said, Success is to laugh often and much, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, and to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the writer and illustrator Sharon Vargo and the true story of the $20 bill. Announcements. So I have a bunch of classes coming up at the Indianapolis Arts Center. There's always something new. I'm also happy to announce that I will be teaching at the September 2016 Art and Soul Retreat in Virginia Beach. There I'll be doing a two-day workshop on Victorian flower painting, as well as a one-day workshop on the secret language of symbols. So you want to go to the Art and Soul Retreat website to register there. If you'd like to receive information about any of my upcoming classes and the latest Alchemy of Art podcasts, what you want to do is sign up for my newsletter on my website, azirfineart.com. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Sharon Vargo. Sharon Vargo is a writer and illustrator who lives in Carmel, Indiana. She received a BFA from Pratt Institute. Her paintings have appeared in children's books, magazines, textbooks, murals, limited edition prints, and are in private and museum collections. She wrote and illustrated the book Senor Felipe's Alphabet Adventure. Sharon is currently an active member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Find out more about Sharon's work at SharonVargo.com. Welcome, Sharon. Thanks, Addie. What is the story of how you became an artist? Well, I would say it's kind of, uh, maybe this is cliche, I've always been a creative person. As a child, people would say if I had a pencil or art supplies, I would be busy for hours. I've always wanted to be an artist, but I wasn't sure exactly what it meant, so I looked it up in the dictionary when I was a kid. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary says... It's a person who is skilled or works in any of the arts, painting, drawing, or sculpture. A person who does anything well with imagination. That definition fit me perfectly as a child and still does today. True enough, true enough. I, I love how that definition adds imagination as the key element because I think, you know, when we're 
we're creating something, there's this process where, okay, we think, okay, I want to make an illustration of a bird in a tree. And then you just have to be brainstorming and, and using your creative process. And that's really the key element. And it's not, it's not necessarily the medium that you're, that you're going for. So what's your favorite thing about illustration itself? You know, why illustration over other art forms like pottery or anything? Well, my favorite thing about illustration is telling a story in my art. And mm. I specialize in children's illustration. I love that my art in most cases is shared between a parent, a grandparent, or a teacher and a child. Mm. I do have a few pieces on of art on display at the Maza Museum. The Maza Museum is uh, part of the University of Finley in Finley, Ohio, and it's dedicated to children's book art. There's a little shelf that runs around the museum under the art where the books are also displayed and on hand for children to view as they look at the illustrations. It's a cool. wonderful place to visit. Uh but I didn't start out thinking I would be an illustrator. In fact, I didn't know what type of artist I wanted to be. I went to high school in New Jersey and had a wonderful high school art teacher and a great art program. He helped me enroll in a summer program at Parsons School of Design mm -hmm. in New York City. This is a great program where you would go daily and have drawing classes, design classes, and on Fridays we would take field trips around New York. And we'd visit different artists, stage designers, stage painters, or on Broadway, fashion design, fine artists, painters in Soho, printmakers, graphic designers. And I remember uh, visiting the illustrator's home studio. Sadly, I don't remember the illustrator's name, but I do remember his storytelling art, and it made a lasting impression on me. For college, I went to Pratt in Brooklyn, as you said, and I studied communication design and majored in illustration. I took a lot of fine art classes, too. For my senior project, I did a series of children's book illustrations. I did not focus on illustrating for children until I had then had kids of my own. Wow. Okay. And... The mediums that you use, you know, sometimes you use acrylic, and then I know that illustration has changed so much lately, and now we're using the computer more and more and more. Can you tell us about what mediums you use and how that's changed? Oh, it's changed over the 25 years I've spent as a, an illustrator. Started traditionally in mediums, and so actual art was delivered to the client. It was either mailed or delivered when... You know, I lived in New York. Now everything is digital. Um, you submit your files to your client, and so it's just a different thing. But it's it's been wonderful. It's a wonderful medium, and I still paint in acrylics and scan my work and have files, or I paint in Photoshop, which is just wonderful. The choice of brushes and different mediums you can get in Photoshop are very exciting. So I know you have been helping to organize a big regional conference for the Society of Children's Books, Writers and Illustrators. And um, sadly, I was not able to go because I had a conflict, but 
you know, I know is a big job for you. For those who don't know about the organization, give us a rundown on all they do and what new members can expect if they join or go to one of these conferences that okay. I, I've, the ones I've gone to, I found really educational. Good. I'm glad to hear that. When I decided to focus on illustrating for children, I joined SCBWI 25 years ago. It's the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. It's the largest professional organization for writers and illustrators who work in the children's and young adult market. For the past seven years, I've been the illustrator coordinator for Indiana, along with my Indiana regional team. We have a regional advisor and an assistant regional advisor, and we plan events in Indiana for writers and illustrators. Recently, the conference you're talking about, we had um, a Midwest conference near Chicago with Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin SCBWI chapters. The plan is to have a wild, wild Midwest conference every three years. We bring in editors, art directors, agents, published authors, and illustrators for these conferences. Attendees can participate in so many things in intensives, breakout sessions, attend inspiring keynote talks, skip portfolio, and manuscript critiques along with the latest news on publishing, on the publishing business for children from professionals. As the illustrator coordinator here in Indiana, I run quarterly illustrators critique groups around the Indianapolis area for our illustrator members. We also have conferences in Indiana. We'll have a one-day conference at Franklin College this fall. Membership is open to anyone with an interest in children's literature. To become a member, you could expect to become a part of the tribe, as it's coined, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> yeah, they call it the, the tribe, meaning you will be joining a great group of people who will support you in your path to publishing. Mm. I'm going to add a question for you, Sharon. So I used to be a children's librarian. I don't know if you knew that, but I used to be a children's librarian. And it's been my thought that as the publishing industry changes and things are becoming more and more digital, that children's books, I predict, I could be wrong, we'll see in 50 years, but I predict children's books are the one set of books which really will stay in the printed uh, paper <laughs> Form because there's just something that's very intimate and wonderful about having a child. And my daughter's 10, so she's slowly, she's leaving this stage of life where we sit down every night and we read together. And it's just a lovely tradition. And I think it means a lot to a lot of people. And so I think that children's books will stay in the printed form for much longer than anything else. You're certainly academic things. It's easy to put that online. When I got my master's degree, you know, what, seven years ago or whatever, everything was digital. And, um, you know, in, in fiction books and, you know, even how-to books and things like that, they can be digital. And it's really, it, I don't know that we're losing something in not having it tangible. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I do. When ebooks first came out, everyone was like, 
this is the way to go, you know. Yes. You're going to have to learn how to publish ebooks and you can publish your own ebooks and there was this big craze on the ebooks and everyone jumped on the, you know, the train to ebooks and I looked into it but just sat back because I felt exactly like you do that I just don't think we'll ever lose the book. And Actually, currently, there's a lot of information where, you know, books are not going to die. There's always going to be books for children and people who just enjoy having that tangible book. So right. I think it's, uh, I don't think books are going to go away. I think, in fact, now I think there's some news that it's bigger and better than ever. So um, that's great news for me. <laughs> Sure enough. Sure enough. What big projects do you have currently in the works? Well, currently I have a break from my illustration work from my rep. And I'm taking this time to focus on my writing and illustrating projects. I've authored and illustrated a picture book, as you said, Senor Felipe's Alphabet Adventure, and have written and illustrated crafts and games for highlights and Humpty Dumpty magazines, and I've also had a poem in the Lee Bennett Hopkins anthology, which is a big career highlight to be a published author as an illustrator. Mm. Um, right now I'm working on uh, some projects, book dummies, and I have one that's almost finished and ready to be uh, submitted soon. For a book dummy, I thought maybe I'll just jump in here and tell you exactly what a book dummy is, if people don't know that, I sketch out every page and make it into an actual little book. And it's very important to do this because this is important to have a sample of the book in an actual book form to see how the story flows and works on each page turn. Having a dummy book is key to seeing how the text and the pictures work together. Even when I have a project on my table, I'm not always able to talk about them or show the illustrations until the publisher or the publication publishes the work. In most cases, it's top secret work until the <laughs> publication. Yeah. So I have to keep it secret. Even the projects that I'm working on now, huh. I can tell you how I work. First, I put my author hat on and I write a story. Then I put on the illustrator hat and I create characters and paginate the story. Then I do thumbnail layouts so I can see the whole story's visual narrative. In this process, things are always changing. The story will be revised to make the visual narrative work better, or the art will be revised, and so on and so forth. It becomes a complete balancing act to get the words and the pictures to work together. Sure, sure. Um, so you mentioned that you have a rep and, and you're, you're talking about the process that you go through. Um, <clears throat> how much of the time are the projects you're working on, these were presented to you by, you know, Highlights for Children or wherever these different um, publishers have asked you to do a certain project? Um, or are you creating illustrations and then sharing them with them and then they say oh yes I'd like to get that little that one of uh, a little girl in the rain with uh, jumping in a puddle or what <laughs> you know mm -hmm. uh, 
walk us through the process of dealing with the other people. <laughs> well, both is the answer to that. Okay. I will do some work for promotional purposes mm -hmm. or my book dummies, which I'll do and either my art rep will sell or I'll submit to publishing houses. But then also for work I've done, for an example, a cover for highlights, they had seen a piece of work in my portfolio of a little cityscape in the winter and the art director contacted me and said we'd like you to do the December cover and we'd love something like your little village or and in each window we would like you to depict different scenes of the holiday whether it be Hanukkah or Christmas or other holidays people celebrate during that time. And so they have some criteria and then I get to decide how I'd like to do that. And of course that's within the constraints of the size of the publication sure. and uh, you know what whatever they've asked me to do. And so I submit a sketch. Okay. Sketches are then revised. And then the revisions are gone to final. Once you sign off, they sign off on a final sketch. Then I go to final painting, and then that's submitted. So sometimes art is done for me to promote, and other times it's done with very specific things. Educational projects are so specific, you get a typed up little paragraph of exactly what they want in that illustration because okay. they are, you know, using them for textbooks. So it could be down to the nationality of the people, what they're doing, how many people are in the scene, exactly everything to the detail. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which is challenging. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would think it would make me more nervous because in my own experience, the couple times where I've had a commission for a painting, um, the pressure is on to make something that you know they're going to like. Whereas if I'm making a painting that, oh, maybe it's going to be in the show, maybe not. I don't even have to add it to the collection if I don't want to. If I decide in the end that I, I know, I'm not comfortable with it, I'm not pleased with the outcome. How do you deal with the pressure of it or... I don't know. I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a strange thing. I work better under pressure. That's okay. for my clients out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What advice would you give to your younger artist self? Oh, I saw this question and I really thought about it. I was like, I might say to stay focused in one art form, but huh. I'm sure... <laughs> I'm not sure I could follow my own advice on that <laughs> because I have done so many things. I've done graphic design. I've done fine art, as you know, in a co-op gallery. I've been a lithography student, a teacher, a printmaker. I've shown in other, you know, shows and galleries. Um, but as much as maybe my career would have been uh, different or as an illustrator, if I just focused on illustration, I I feel like all those other puddle jumps have added more to my 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 self as an illustrator. 
Okay. What's the main message that you're trying to convey with your work? Oh, the message would be the story because illustrations do tell a story. Um, the story that I'm illustrating, but mostly I hope to give the viewer an experience when they view my art, not only a message. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to throw another question at you that just popped in my mind. And that is why illustrate and not take a photograph and, you know, just doctor up the photograph for the books that you're creating? Well, I'm not a photographer, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there are some children's books that are, mm -hmm. are illustrated mm -hmm. with photographs, and yeah. that's a beautiful medium, too. Yeah. The ones with, uh, I think they're written by Nina Cruz. I, I like those. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think, I think the medium that's used in a book to illustrate it is is really a part of the process, the creation, the imagination. It, there's a team that creates a book. It's different than making a painting. You make a painting by yourself, maybe with your subject matter. But for a book, it's, there's a lot of people involved. There's a designer, there's an art director, there's an editor, there might be a separate author, the author may not be me. And so it's a collaboration of a project. So what medium is used in the book depends on the book itself, the story. Some may be better illustrated by watercolor or photography, or it needs, you know, printmaking or collage. It's, it's an edgier story. It needs to have, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, mixed mediums or, so it's, it, I think the story dictates what, what the medium might be. Great. Wonderful. Last question. What is your favorite art book or story? I, have, I love this art book. It's called Show Me the Story, Why Pictures Matter by Leonard Marcus. It is just such a great book for anybody. It, it's conversations with 21 of the world's most celebrated illustrators. And then my other favorite is Writing with Pictures by Yuri Sholovitz. They're both great books. Great. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you. And now for the true story of the $20 bill. Once upon a time in New Jersey, a man walked into a grocery store. He selected his items and went to pay for them at the cash register. He placed a $20 bill on the counter so the clerk could give him his change. There was a puddle of water on the counter, and the $20 bill sat in it for a moment. When the clerk picked it up, she found that ink came off the bill and bled onto her fingers. As the man left the store, she wondered if the money was fake, but the pictures on it were perfect. And she knew this man. His name was Emmanuel Ninger. He and his family were well respected in the community. It didn't seem possible that he would give her a fake bill. But the year was 1896. 
and $20 was a lot of money back then. So she took the bill to the bank. They looked at it under a magnifying glass and confirmed that it was a fake bill. The police were called in to investigate. Da, da, da. They went to the home of Manuel Ninger. In his attic, they found an art studio. On one side of the room were three large floral paintings. They were skillfully rendered. On the other side was a desk. On that desk was another painted $20 bill. Ninger was arrested and sent to jail for several years. The police took the three paintings from his home to pay for expenses. The paintings were sold at an auction for more than $5,000 each. <laughs> it had taken Emmanuel Ninger the same amount of time to create a fake $20 bill as it took for him to paint one of the paintings. If he had chosen to sell his paintings, he could have been a successful artist. Sadly, after he left prison, he was never heard from again. So this, as I said, is a true story, and I first heard this tale on a CD of inspirational speeches by Zig Ziglar years ago. Um, you know, we artists, we oftentimes have a choice where maybe we're not literally making an image of money like Emmanuel Ninger was, but um, it can feel just as tedious and um, and wrong, I want to say, to only be creating a piece of artwork so that we'll sell it, so that we'll get money. Um, it just kind of, when, when that's your only motivation, you end up just, there's no heart or soul in the piece of artwork. So ultimately, it's, it's absolutely fine to sell paintings or artwork and have that be part of your motivation for creating it. And yet, you don't want to be so engrossed in that that you lose your enthusiasm for it and that that, that piece of artwork doesn't have a heart and a soul. And, and ultimately, too, I think, you know, going back to Sharon and my conversation, it, it can sometimes being an artist, we are navigating and, and slowly trying different mediums until we find the one that's right for us. That's really going to be a good fit for expressing ourselves and finding our voice. Or, um, you know, maybe it's about what kind of audience we're trying to reach. Like Sharon talked about the story and having it connect with children. And that, is her main motivation. So of course, illustration has become so important to her. So yeah, a second lesson to be learned in all this would be uh, to not be too fixated on one particular medium, but really let yourself flow through different things as Sharon did so that you can find what's going to be the best fit for you and it's going to be the most authentic for you. All right, so this story, the $20 bill and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice.
You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.